0: I hope that you recall that we're going through the book of Acts uh, together. And the book of Acts reports on the first 60 years of the baby church. The church was born, did not exist before Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 2, the church was born on the day of Pentecost. And the book of Acts covers the first 60 years of the church's existence. By the way, Calvary Bible Church is 60 years old as well this year. We were founded in 1962, so this is our 60th year of ministry on Collins Avenue, and there's a committee working soon to plan some festivities for our 60th anniversary as a church. So the book of Acts covers as many years uh, of the original church's history as this church has existed, 60 years. And We've seen in the book of Acts that after the church was born, there was historic and exponential and fast, sizable growth to the baby church as people were one to Christ, trusted Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, were joined to that church. It grew very, very fast. We saw also that the book of Acts reports that the first problem that the baby church had was an internal problem. And the internal problem, you may remember, was a married couple who lied to the Holy Spirit about a real estate deal. That was the first problem of the baby church. The next problem of the baby church is what we're going to see in our verses for today in Acts chapter eight. And that was an external problem. And the external problem that the baby church faced that we're gonna read about in Acts chapter eight was persecution people who were not sympathetic with the message of Christ, people who were threatened by the church following Jesus Christ and growing, external persecution that started with widespread arrests of Christians. As I preach now, I hope you are aware that even as I preach now in freedom, that there are believers in Jesus in many countries that are being persecuted right while I speak. North Korea, Afghanistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, China, Pakistan, the Ukraine, India, to name a few. Christianity Today, the magazine in 2020, the year 2020, reported the following. Every day, eight Christians are killed for their faith. Every week, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every month, 309 Christians are unjustly imprisoned. The worst 50 countries for persecuting Christians collectively persecute 260 million believers in Jesus Christ. That is going on every day in other corners of earth. Now... In Acts chapter eight, verses one through four, the report is as follows. Now Saul was consenting to his death, that is Stephen, he was martyred at the end of chapter seven. Now Saul was consenting to his death, at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was in Jerusalem, and they all were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. For as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. What persecution did for that first church was that it scattered her believers out from being all together as they once were in Jerusalem. The first of those believers were scattered, according to the verses I have just read, to the regions of Judea and Samaria. We saw that in verse one. And more generally and more amazingly, it says the first believers due to persecution were scattered to everywhere. That is in verse four. So persecution from outside the baby church scattered many of the believers out of the baby church in Jerusalem to begin ministry in the regions of Judea and Samaria and the text says everywhere. What Satan meant for harm, God turned into good for the gospel. You know, when a giraffe mother gives birth to her calf, The calf drops about eight feet to the hard ground. Mother then proceeds to repeatedly kick her curled up calf up into the air, and just when the baby first stands, the mom kicks it down again. Why? The kicking ensures that the giraffe calf will get strong enough to stand, and eventually to walk, and eventually to run. And if the mother giraffe doesn't do this, her calf would lie too weak and too immobile on the ground, soon to be a predator's meal. The mother giraffe's kicking equips the baby to run away from predators should they attack. Persecution does that. When Christians suffer for being Christians, they get stronger. And they move out from where they were in many cases. The underground church in China, 68 million Christians strong. (laughs) The underground church in China has over 68 million believers in Jesus Christ meeting in tiny little secret places each Lord's Day. Today, they will be meeting in countless different places, and sometimes, often, they move and change the place they meet every week so that the communists can't find them. 68 million Chinese believers are meeting and growing and witnessing and evangelizing and becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. 68 million. million while the church in China is being persecuted by the communists so what does persecution of the church usually do well usually it does this it scatters God's people and it leads to rapid church growth that's my first question The first question today is What does persecution usually do? It usually scatters God's people, and that leads to rapid church growth. My second question of four in this message What do godly church leaders do? When the church is being persecuted, what do godly church leaders do. For that matter, what do godly church leaders do when the church is not being persecuted? The simple answer is whatever God wants them to do. A good church leader simply does whatever God wants them to do, whether there's persecution or whether there's peace. A godly church leader does whatever he understands God wants him to do. Verse 1 again. Now Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, watch, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, watch, except the apostles. The apostles weren't scattered to the regions of Judea and Samaria. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem with the Jerusalem church. The apostles were godly church leaders in that they did not scatter. They stayed in Jerusalem to care for the believers who stayed there as the persecution was boiling over. Was it a risk? Absolutely. Verse three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Was it a risk? Absolutely. Was it the Christ-honoring thing to do? Absolutely. The Lord Jesus spoke about what a godly leader in a church would do. Back in John 10, before he went to the cross and before the church was even born, Jesus said this in John chapter 10 about godly leaders, verses 11 to 14, said of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees, but he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Jesus tells leaders like me and all through the centuries, other pastors, don't be a hireling. Don't pastor by punching a time clock to start your day of pastoring and punch a time clock as if you're off the clock at the end of a day with respect to pastoring. Godly church leaders love their flock, stick with their flock through thick and thin, are humble amongst their flock, and they don't just do it for the money or the status. The current pastors of the evangelical churches in the Ukraine are courageous examples of not being hirelings. Let me read you one email dated February 24th. This was just as the war was breaking out. This is from one pastor in Kiev. This is quite possibly our last means of correspondence for some time. War is imminent and the consequence is dreadful. A state of emergency has been declared, and this will be followed by martial law. Young Ukrainian men from 16 years of age are being called up to serve in the military, and Ukrainians are being given the right to carry arms. A major cyber attack is happening just now, as we write, which has affected Ukrainian banks as well as government websites. Ukrainian citizens are being asked to urgently leave Russia, and our local currency is in free fall. We are not leaving, how can we? As an elder in the church, my responsibility is to shepherd at all times. It would be a terrible testimony to get up and leave the believers here. We have been preparing for this day. We have generators, fuel, food, etc. as we would like to turn the church building into a place of shelter and accommodation and feeding the believers who will face many a hardship. God is about to give us great opportunities to show our Christian faith practically and to reach out into our community with the gospel. May we, we may have to move out of our home for security reasons. Military jets can be heard overhead, and we covet your prayers. Now listen to what he said. We are not any braver than you, but confident that we are where God would expect us to be. That's what godly leaders do. Question three, what can scattered Christians do? What can scattered Christians do? Well, I'll tell you, they can preach and evangelize us in places other than where the non-scattered remain. What can scattered Christians do? Well, they can preach and evangelize to persons other than the persons who don't scatter and remain. Now, I hope you know, I've said it many times, I hope you remember, I really know this is true. I hope you know that you all will preach to congregations that I will never preach to. You all will work beside people in workplaces that I will never work with in a workplace. You all live on streets beside neighbors that I will never have as neighbors on my street. I hope you believe that, that you preach to congregations that I will never get to preach to. And so the Church of Jesus Christ, every Sunday, we gather together as we are right now for edification, to be built up in our faith based on the Word of God and to be equipped based upon the Word of God to go scattered for evangelism. We gather on Sundays to be built up in our faith, edification. We scatter after this service for the rest of the week to do the work of evangelism. And so we come together to worship God on Sundays, to learn His Word, to be strengthened in our inner man or woman, and to be equipped to do the work of the ministry out there. (laughs) Out there where you work, where you live, where you transact. That's how it works. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, it's very clear. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. You've been given a pastor, teacher, and I've been called to be a pastor-teacher for the expressed reason that God would use me as I minister his word to equip you, each of you, the youngest of you, the eldest of you, and everybody in between, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And the work of the ministry that each of you are to do is as unique as your DNA. Ephesians 2.10 Let's back it up to eight and nine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any one should boast. For we, it's us, we are his workmanship, poema in Greek. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in. Your good works are slightly different than my good works. We're all unique. And before you were ever conceived, before you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, God ordained the good works that you are to do. You say, little old me? Yeah, little old you. Good works that God has prepared for you to do. And so we come together on Sundays, we gather for edification and equipping, and we scatter for evangelism and ministry. Verse 4 again. Therefore, Those who were scattered went everywhere. I love that. Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Now, I'm just interested to know for fun, are there any persons here today who are not born and raised in Nassau? Just slip your hand up. You were not born and raised in Nassau. That's some of us. Has it ever occurred to you with those of you along with me, who raised our hands. Has it ever occurred to us that we are scattered from our first homes so that we will share Christ with persons here in Nassau, persons that your family living where you used to live will not get a chance to influence for the Savior? Has that ever occurred to you? that God picked you up from wherever you were born and raised, brought you to this city called Nassau so that you could share Christ with people in Nassau that your family that stayed wherever you came from can't reach like you can because now you live in Nassau. In the Lord's plan, the scattered Christians often are scattered in order to speak up for Christ where we're scattered to be in the new places. And of course, all of us should be speaking up for Christ, whether we were born and raised in NASA or were transplants. And so question four, my last question of this message, what did one servant of the Lord do? What did one servant of the Lord do? The simple answer is he moved out of Jerusalem and into God's will for his life. One servant of the Lord obeyed God and moved out of Jerusalem and into God's will for ministry for him somewhere other than Jerusalem. In the face of persecution, this one servant of the Lord went to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ. We read in other verses, he preached Christ, he did miracles, he exercised demons, and he healed the sick. And that one servant of the Lord I'm referencing was named Philip, Elsewhere in the New Testament, this particular man is called Philip the Evangelist. We can read that in verses. 5 through 8, and then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. Why? Because one servant of the Lord followed God's leading, and he moved out of what he knew to be comfortable and familiar in Jerusalem, and he went to The place he wasn't ever before, Philip the Evangelist. Obviously, Philip the Evangelist was right in the place where he was supposed to be when he was in Samaria. If he had stayed in Jerusalem, he would not have been in God's will for his life. But he moved out of Jerusalem and into God's will for his life in Samaria. The apostles were called of God to stay in Jerusalem. But Philip the evangelist was called of God to move out of Jerusalem to the region of Samaria to evangelize the lost. So now let's get personal. What has God called you to do? If you have young children at home or grandchildren and they said, what has God called you to do with your life? Would you have an answer? Do you know what God's called you to do as a believer? Hey, What are you supposed to do, Daddy? What's God's will for your life? Mommy, do you know what God's will is for your life? Grammy, what is God's will for your life? What if you were to be asked that question? What does the Lord call you to do and to be? And where does he call you to do that thing and to be that way? I started to grow in love for Beth before we had ever spoken. In a Dallas seminary chapel... She was one of three students to give her testimony as incoming students. She shared with us as an assembled first-year class that she knew God had called her to leave Michigan, to go to Dallas, Texas, to study the Bible and theology in order to better be equipped to teach women and children the Bible. She said to that testimony that she'd had no money to go, but she knew God had called her to go. And she picked up and packed up and moved, without a job, without money. She told in her testimony how God gave her a job with wealthy people who owned restaurants. But that was only for a free place to live. She still had no money for tuition. Then she told us that when she met her bosses at the mansion that they were going to take care of their daughter, they said, by the way, we've changed the deal. We're going to pay for your tuition, your health insurance, and your books if you won't work for anyone else up to us. That's what I heard. She knew how to trust the Lord, was willing to risk to obey God, and there was no uh, barrier to her obedience. And God made a way for her. And I thought, boy, I'd like to get to know her. She knows how to trust God for everything, and she's not hard to look at either. (laughs) Just Just being honest. But I started to grow in love with her. I never met her. I just loved her character for Christ, her faith. She was going to be where God wanted her to be no matter what. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about accommodation. Don't worry about anything. Just be where God wants me to be. That's what's her outlook. She put feet and hands to that faith. So where are you supposed to be? It probably is different than where other believers you know where God wants them to be probably different. Don't compare yourself to any other believer. Because she's there, I should be there. Because he's doing that, I should be doing that. Don't do that. That's a recipe for sickness. I fell into a clinical depression, the first pastor that I pastored, because I compared myself to all the faculty members at Dallas Seminary. I wanted to be just like the best church historian, just like the best Greek teacher, just like the best Hebrew teacher, just like the next best uh, Christian ed teacher, and I, I fell into a depression. Because God didn't want me to be any of those men, but God wanted me to be me, in humble dependence upon him, just the way he packaged me in my mother's womb. And the way he gifted me after I was saved. He just wanted me to be me. So please don't compare yourself to anybody else. Now, in our married lives, to God's glory, Beth and I have lived and ministered in Dallas, Texas, southwestern Ontario, eastern Ontario, northeast Pennsylvania, and now the Bahamas. It's better in the Bahamas. How did that happen? How did we come to minister in those places? Well, I'll tell you how it didn't happen. It didn't happen by copying anybody else. It also didn't happen by rejecting the notion of change and telling God we're totally adverse to any change. Didn't happen when we we didn't have that attitude. And it also didn't happen by being inflexible. I will only do this. No, we said... Anything, anywhere, anytime. That's a Romans twelve one and 2 prayer that you could pray. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. By the way, living sacrifices don't tell the one who sacrifices them what to do. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. So this kind of surrender I'm calling you to, God says is reasonable. It's not fanatical. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Guess what? God's will for each of you is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do you believe that? Does it have to seem good, acceptable, and perfect for you to do it? No. That's like an eBay purchase. I purchased something on eBay yesterday. Guess what? I can make that purchase. They take the money in my bank, but I have 30 days. I can return the purchase for any reasons, no question asked, and get my money back. Some people treat the will of God for their lives like an eBay purchase. I'll just see if it's good, acceptable, and perfect to me. And if it isn't, I can just tell God I won't do it. That's not how it works. When we present ourselves a living sacrifice, then God shows us what he wants us to do. Then we say yes. The clay doesn't tell the potter what to do. You want to have the safest place in the universe for you? Be in the center of God's will for your life. You want to be in the most fulfilling place on earth for you? Be in the center of God's will for your life. Surrender anything, anywhere, anytime. For a lot of years, I tried to tell God what God's will was for my life that I should go into the family business, the funeral home business in Toronto, and be a manager and owner of funeral homes. I kept trying to tell God that. That's that's your will for my life? No, it wasn't. God's will for my life was to become a pastor teacher. And when I first started to understand that, it scared the daylights out of me. It still is daunting. (laughs) Except for the grace of God, I can't do it. So when you ask God to show his will for your life, know that he will not play hide and seek with his will for your life if you'll commit to doing it before you know what it is. Can I say that again? God will not play hide and seek with his will for your life if you commit to God to do whatever that is before you know what it is. It's not an eBay purchase. So we prayed a lot of Romans 12, 1 and 2 prayers, and that's what moved us. God moved us as much as he did. Another pair of verses that I commend to your attention in this regard is Psalm 37, 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Some people on this island preach that that means a Lamborghini in your driveway. That's not what it means. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you, author within you, the desires of your heart. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he creates and authors the desires in our hearts that he wants us to have. Commit your way to the Lord and trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You say, Pastor, okay, this all hinges on me delighting myself in the Lord. How do I know if I'm delighting myself in the Lord? What do you think about when you're free to think about anything? When you're showering, when you're driving, when you're putting on your makeup, when you're just daydreaming, what do you think about when you're free to think about anything at all? The person who's delighting themselves in the Lord thinks about the Lord. And the other thing that will help you know whether or not you're delighting yourself in the Lord is do you owe him any obedience? Persons who are delighting themselves in the Lord do not owe the Lord any obedience. They are obeying to the best of their ability in every matter he's shown them. You want to know you're delighting yourself in the Lord? You think about him when you're free to think about anything, and you can't point to anything where you say, I'm not obeying that one. No, not that one. The person who's delighting themselves in the Lord says, I delight in the commandments of God. That's my joy. That's my safety. That's my mission. So, God's will is a wonderful thing. And for all times, God's will is all-wise, God's will is fulfilling, and God's will is unique to each believer in many different cases. And so what all this means, you take nothing away from this sermon except this. We should regularly be checking with the heavenly headquarters to see if we're doing the right thing, to see if we're doing it in the right way, and to see if we're doing it in the right place. Let me ask you this. If in studying God's word, if in praying to the Lord, you became convinced that God's will for your life didn't mean living in Nassau, what would you do? If you became convinced that God's will for you in the next steps of your life was not to be in Nassau, what would you do? Anything, any time, anywhere. We are far from having arrived in this But we can tell you that our lives, Beth and my life, have been so rich and so joyful and so exciting and so interesting and so blessed just because that's how we live. Anything, anytime, anywhere, make that your prayer. Make that your prayer. and Watch what happens. He may say, stay right in Nassau. That's exactly where I want you to be. Like he told the apostles, stay right in Jerusalem. That's right where you're supposed to be. He may say, no, I want you in such and such a place. But Lord, I don't know how I'll get there. Just say, Lord, I'll get there with your help. But that's where you want me to go, I'm prepared to pull up stakes and go to that place. Make that your prayer. Anytime... Anything, anywhere. This is our prayer, Lord. Thank you that you don't play hide and seek with your will for any of us who will commit to doing your will without knowing what it is yet. Amen.